2: Were Manchester City hungry like the Wolves? Hello and welcome to The Real Football Cast. I'm your host Dan Tracy and in the next 60 minutes I'll once again be dissecting through all the hot topics in football. As always, the aim is to separate all the football of week from the chat. as on this episode we look back on the third weekend of the Premier League season. In addition, we discussed all the other burning issues from the past seven days, and there is a return of what can only be described as the hit segment, footballers' names. Thankfully, I'm not going to be doing it alone, so there's no need to worry that you'll be stuck with yours truly for the next hour. So joining me tonight, I have two real football men, and once again, there's an element of squad rotation. After his scouting mission last week, I'm pleased to say that I'm joined by Carl William again. Carl, welcome back, and I hope you've done your footballing homework.
0: Yeah, good to be back, Dan. Um, got a nice few names for our little game later on. So, yeah, been away, done some scouting, and I think I've got a few potential players
2: for us, mate. Great news. And also, he enjoyed it so much last week, he's here to join us again. Anthony Kendrick enters the file once more. Anthony, how's your week been?
1: Um, Until Monday night, I, I'd had a lovely week, thank you. Um, Yeah, uh, I'm good, thanks, though.
2: I was going to say, yes, it's probably going all so well and then things just fell apart Monday. But hold those thoughts because I want to get your, uh, your rant, I expect, in a little minute. So i best do some social media bits first. Otherwise, we'll be talking into the abyss once more. First, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter at DanTracy1983. It would be great to get some listeners' questions in for next week. Truth be told, it can be anything that's loosely connected with football now. The floor is open. The floor is yours. Any activity is welcome, so if you're wanting to voice your opinions, then do get in touch. Twitter will be the main place you can find the show each week. If you don't find it on Twitter, you can also go to the realfootballcast.com website. From there, there are links to direct download or stream, so you can have it on your laptop, desktop, mobile, tablet. And you can also find links to SoundCloud and Audio Boom if that's easier for you to listen to. The hunt to get on iTunes continues... So that may be a hint of bad news, but thankfully there is a huge piece of good news to go with it. I'm delighted to announce that the podcast has a sponsor. The Real Football Cast is now in association with Loserpool. We've only been in business for less than a month and we're already moving up the league table. What is Loserpool, I hear you ask? It's a new betting game that's soon to be launched in the UK. However, it's betting turned on its head as the focus is on picking the loser. If this has grabbed your interest, then be sure to visit LoserPool.com and create an account. With now especially being the time to do so, as there are 30% off coupons currently available on their site. Right then, it's time to go live. So, I asked a a, a very quick fan poll. When was it? Tuesday, I believe. Yes, it was Tuesday. And it was a Jose Mourinho-based fan poll. And I asked the simple question, do you reckon that he'll see out the season? So, 95 people took the time to vote. 68% of those said he won't. So, Anthony, as a United fan, A, is that something you agree with? And B, please dissect what happened at Old Trafford on Monday. <laughs> um, I,
1: I would be astonished if Mourinho was manager next season. So, yeah, I am a bit surprised by your poll. I'm surprised it was only, what was it, 68% you say? I'm, yeah, 68 I, I'd, if, if, I'd, if, I'd, if I'd put that poll on, I, I'd expect in the 80s myself. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, as as for the game, of course, uh, yeah, I wasn't very happy at all, to be honest. After it, I was—I've uh, never been so angry in a long time, actually. Uh, on, on football, I've had other issues in my life and stuff, but uh, not that. Um, uh, the first half, I—well, I, I don't know if you guys will agree with this, but um, I, I thought I thought United were very good um, on the front foot and attacked well, uh, pressured pressured Spurs well and going into half-time there was probably a penalty but going into half-time I think on the balance of play United deserved to be at least level perhaps slightly ahead the problem was Harry Kane scored that goal and then after that we were completely bereft of ideas Um, the only strategy seemed to be hit the ball long to Lukaku and Fellaini there was no spirit in the side it was it was a fucking disgrace if I'm being if I'm being brutally honest I I thought it as soon as we went 1 0 down, it's completely down the pan, I thought.
2: Wow, Anthony's turned the waves blue in the first couple of minutes. Carl, um, as a Tottenham fan, we're, well, I'm a Tottenham fan as well, obviously delighted, but if we look at it from a United point of view, because that's really where the headlines have been, really, it's not really been about Tottenham's great win, it's almost been United's great demise. So for you, obviously looking at it from the other sort of um, opinion of it, where did United go wrong? I know they sort of lost 3 0, but. Tactically, shape, what happened for you? Um, well, it was hard one because I think
0: we we kind of have discussed this already. But as we say there, in theory, that game, the way the first half panned out, I think if United could have got themselves ahead in that game, I think the momentum would have taken them to potentially going on and winning it. Um, the, unfortunately for them, they just couldn't make their pressure count. And obviously, once Lukaku missed that glorious opportunity from a horror Danny Rose pass back, then it looked like the writing was kind of on the wall for him, didn't it? They, they was having lots of pressure in the first half, couldn't Couldn't get the goal they needed to kind of get the crowd on side and then make the most of it. Um, and then obviously, yeah, uh, once, once Harry Kane sticks that header in, it then kind of, you know, it, it turned, didn't it? But it also turned by a great save from Lloris because if United get that goal straight back after we'd scored, then again, they may have rattled our cage and that could have helped them go on and maybe get a winner. But the fact they didn't, we then go up the other end again and score straight away. And that second was the real killer, the real killer blow. You know, if they could have been 1-0 for a little while, they might have edged back. Um, What's wrong with United? It's hard to say what's going on in there, isn't it? All you can say is this is typical third season Jose Mourinho, you know. He's now, you know, everyone's to blame. He's not happy. Um, He's setting the tone for the whole club at the moment, isn't he? The whole tone stems from Mourinho. And that is just of an unhappy out of love, you know, no love for football, man. Because he looks like it at the moment, and you just get that impression that any minute now, it, it the the axe will be, you know, the axe will fall on him. Um, I think it's the polar opposite to Spurs, isn't it? We've got a manager that, as fans, everybody loves. We we love Poch, and and Poch's attitude kind of sets the tone for us all. You know, we're with him, we're behind him. He's super positive. You know, he was dealt a bad hand in the transfer window by not being given anyone. But he hasn't gone moaning about it and being dour in the press and, oh, well, that's it, we may as well well give up now because I haven't got anyone I want. He's just got on with it and said, no, all right, we'll deal with what we got and we'll all fight in the same direction. Whereas Say has obviously not got the players he wanted. Um, And now the kind of the toys have come out of the pram you don't get the impression it's a happy dressing room, and that players want to play for him. Um, and you can only really see it hit him one way, can't you? And, and I'd be surprised if he's still there at Christmas.
2: Wow, you think he's going to go that early, um, Anthony? For you, is there an element where Mourinho's been sort of sold down the river in terms of transfers with Ed Woodward? They've not many people make so much about the fact that Tottenham didn't sign anyone this summer. I know United did sign players in the summer. It wasn't really the marquee name that you would have expected for a club of United's stature. So, for you, have they got their transfer policy wrong over the summer?
1: Um, you could make that argument. We we tried to get a centre-back, but um, didn't. So, yeah, we, you could you could make that argument, and that would be a reasonable argument to make. However, the net spend under Jose Mourinho has been £302 million. The actual incomings is probably... Something like twice that. Um, I, I don't know the exact figure, but I know we've spent just over three hundred million net. It's it's a lot of money. Um, we've signed Lindelof. We've signed Bailey for a combined sixty, sixty-five million, something like that. So yeah, you could point to the transfer policy. That would be a, an easy place to start. But I I look at the side and I, I ask, who has Mourinho improved as a player? Because I, I can't see anyone in that squad where. Mourinho has developed them. There were two players last night who I thought were playing, uh, who played well. Uh, Jesse Lingard, who tried and he, he he's come on, but that's no thanks to Mourinho and Luke Shaw, who had an excellent game. Um, but yeah, again, I don't think that's thanks to Mourinho and I don't think he's developed any players in the squad. Yes, you could say we should have signed Diego Gordon, we should have signed Jerome Boateng, or whoever, but you can't just sign eleven Galacticos. You have to, you have to have some squad development. Whether whether even if it's buying a young, uh, inexperienced player, you know someone like say Anthony Martial, someone like that. We've spent a significant amount of money on him. Bring him in to improve, but he, he can't do that either. And it's it's, I'm, I've had enough of Mourinho. I, I I I'd be delighted if he's out by Christmas.
2: Wow, Cole. For you, do you reckon there's a a sort of similarity to when the Chelsea players sort of almost down tools the season to win the title. Are they at that stage yet? Because you you sort of get the feeling that not a lot of them want to really play for Mourinho, or play at their best, shall I say.
0: You get the feeling it's close, don't you? I mean, as we said there, you know, Luke Shaw's had a great start to this season, but it's not because of Mourinho, is it? It's probably in spite of him, because Shaw is probably wanting to do everything he can to prove the man wrong. Um, And that yeah, you know, I think sometimes Mourinho, Jose probably thinks I need to crucify someone to see if I can get the best out of them. And as we all know, certain players respond differently. You know, some want the arm around the shoulder. Um, I, I you just get the impression, you know, Pogba, when, when someone comes out to the press and says, I can't say what I want to about the manager because I'll be in trouble. Well, that, it's not going to be good, is it? Because you're not gonna be you're not gonna say something really amazing about a manager and get in trouble. So that tells you straight away there's no love there potentially. And Pogba may feel he hasn't been used in the right way that he has for France. So yeah, you get the impression, like with Chelsea, like at Real Madrid, there's only so much of Jose that players can take before actually The the bit that they liked about him now becomes something that they actually go, I actually now dislike you because of this. Um, You could say United knew what they were getting, though, didn't they? You know, Jose's never been a manager who's brought players on or developed... Um, potential. He's always wanted to have the ready made player there who can follow some instructions, um, and Jose doesn't really have to work on him too much. The player's there already, and he just fits into his system. You know, everywhere Jose's been, he's never been bringing through youngsters or developing a talent that's there. Um, so, United kind of did know what they were getting. And I guess if you weren't going to back him in the transfer window by bringing in an outer world because of his age, then, you know, why why have Mourinho in charge? Because he's not going to suddenly start bringing you through, youth players. Um, It's not been his style before. Um, So, yeah, it, it just seems it's the Jose third season, as everyone says, syndrome, where I think everyone's got a little bit tired of him now. Um, And obviously, he won't have it. He he wants to be the main man at that club. So anyone who he thinks is getting in his way or potentially is becoming more influential at that club, he'll try to shoot down. Um, I think it's famously said that at Real Madrid, Ramos tore into him in the changing room one game and basically just embarrassed him in front of the whole squad. And from that moment on, he lost it at Real Madrid and the writing was always on the wall. Um, and I think we've got to that point now.
2: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's, you could say it's great pantomime, but it's also a pantomime that we've seen so many times before. I'm just sort of bored of it, really. So I think that's enough Mourinho chat for tonight, and hopefully we don't have to bang on about it, that next week. But if they lose, then I guess we will. But let's go to the other club in Manchester. And they were held to a draw, so only slightly better at the, at the weekends. Held to a draw by Wolves at Molyneux on Saturday lunchtime. Anthony, there may have been a bit of fortune in the uh, the goal from the hosts. It was almost not I wouldn't say bundled in, but it certainly brushed him with a hand. On the balance yep. of play, do you reckon they deserved a draw? And also, do you get the feeling that City aren't going to be the only team in the Big Six that drop points there this season?
1: Um, yeah, uh, so th- there was fortune with the goal, of course. Um, however, you could argue that Sterling's uh, the free kick, which Sterling won, which led to the City goal, perhaps wasn't a foul. It, at the end of the day, it were two set pieces that decided the game. Uh, but when you look at the balance of play and the chances and all that, I, I think Wolves deserved a point. I think a draw was a fair result. Um, so, yeah, from that point of view, no problem. And I was really impressed to see them go toe-to-toe with City. We've tried, We've seen teams... Lower teams, I'm not counting Liverpool and Spurs and stuff, but um, some of the smaller teams try different tactics, whether it's counter-attacking, park the bus. But Wolves actually went for it with a good passing uh, system. Uh, Vincent Kompany, I noticed, said after the game that he was confident that Wolves would take points off the other top teams and he wasn't too concerned about um, City only drawing that game. And I, I completely agree with him, I think. I think they can expect to get at least three points off, off United whenever the first game is, because Mourinho will still be there for that. Um, but, yeah, I, I, think, I think Wolves will take points. Or, or Well, not necessarily take points, but they'll be giving all the big sides trouble, I think.
2: And, Carl, in terms of Wolves, I mean, it's two draws from the first three matches, so not a bad haul at all, really. I mean, it could be slightly better, but is there a danger, perhaps, that they're not taking the chances that they have made, and that, obviously, can lead to not getting the results that they deserve?
0: Yeah, I think that's always the problem with the new sides coming up, isn't it? Is that sometimes you look at them and think they're not as clinical as they potentially need to be to keep them safe or or keep them out of trouble and and away from that danger zone uh, when the middle of the season towards the end comes. Uh, But I think with Wolves, you can kind of see they've, they've got enough about them where... You know, they was obviously unlucky with Everton. You know, they really will feel that was a missed opportunity when Everton went down to 10 men so early. So they'd probably be kicking themselves with that one. The next game at Leicester, again, that's a tough game, but they may have felt they should have the ability to have maybe got something there. Um, City would have been a free hit. You know, let's face it, for a team like that, most teams against City will feel that. you know, if they come away with a point, then they've done really well. So I think they they should be positive, Wolves. Uh, they will give, you know, City won't be the only top side to drop points there. There's no doubt about that. Um, I think Wolves will get some momentum going behind them. That's a tough place to go, um, especially when it's the winter kicks in. Um, no team will fancy it up there. So I think Wolves will be fine this year. They'll be kind of middle, you know. Eleventh to thirteenth, um, because they, they've got the they've got the players there. You know those players they've got a quality, um, so they, they'll be fine. Wolves, I think.
1: The only thing I would say is if you look at the two strikers they've got, uh, Jimenez and Bonatini. I know Bonatini scored a few in the championship last season, but there's not really a, a star striker. That's the only thing I think they're lacking.
2: Yeah, I guess, I mean, the players they have got very easy on the eye, the sort of the way they're set up with the wide forwards and the sort of Martinho pulling the strings, that there probably is one element lacking, but you could sort of see them quite easily going in January and spending 30, 40 million in that kind of position. So if there is an issue, they'll, they'll easily identify, won't they? So, you know, we'll have to sort of wait and see how it pans out for Wolves. That draw means that Liverpool are two points clear of the defending champions. So Anthony, mm. is it Liverpool's year?
1: Um, I think it's more likely to be Spurs' this year, to be oh, honest. Wow. Uh, probably, you're probably happy to, happy to hear that. I think uh, I think Tottenham have looked great from what I've seen. I think they were. Um, it's sort of been a bit overlooked uh, because of um, my feelings about United, but um, I, I thought Tottenham were excellent the other night. Um, yeah, I, I, um, Liverpool have looked strong. Uh, don't get me wrong, and you know they spent a lot of money in the transfer market this summer, uh, improved the side, but I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not convinced it'll be their year for me. But then, having having said all that, um, I I still I'm I'd be pretty confident putting my money on City to win the league. But Spurs and Liverpool will get closer. I, I, I'd back Spurs for second myself.
2: Interesting, Cole. What did you make of um, Simon Minule's comments in the week? He was sort of having a whinge that he couldn't go on loan, even though he was sort of the sub goalkeeper last year. And Carius has now been shifted off to Persiktas. What did you make of those comments?
0: Ah, oh, that's just the goalkeeper who's frustrated, isn't he? You know, he when he probably signed for Liverpool, he had he probably had high hopes of what he'd achieved there. But you know, he should also maybe have to look at himself and think, well, if he'd performed, he he may have been number one because he didn't have no competition. So he's only got himself to blame. And let's face it, look. Out of those goalkeepers, there was only one goalkeeper that was going to be allowed to go and try and rebuild some sort of reputation, wasn't there? After what had happened to Carrius this summer, he needed a change and just to get out of the spotlight for a little while. So, out of him and Mignolet, there was only one keeper that Liverpool may have said, we need to send this guy away just to try and rebuild himself, get some confidence again and see if he can come back from, from that Champions League final. So... They need another backup. They obviously feel is probably the better keeper out of the two and worth keeping um, for now. So he's just going to have to put up. um, And, you know, at the end of the day, he can fight for his position, can't he? He'll get a chance in the League Cup. He just has to try and take it. But, you know, let's face it, he could have a worse job, couldn't he?
2: Well, exactly. He's almost sort of collecting money for doing very little at the moment, isn't he? I get goalkeepers want to play, but you're right in the sense that if you are a sub-goalkeeper, it's only really trained in for four hours a day for, what, five days a week. There are worse jobs out there. But in terms of the game on Saturday at Anfield, Carl, Brighton were almost sort of masters of their own downfall, really, weren't they? The way they sort of were weakly passing the ball about the back, which led to the ball then pinging to Salah, and then he evidently sort of stroked it home. So the sort of their bubble was almost burst, really, after a great win against Man United. Back to reality, really, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, I mean that would have been the worst. That would have been probably the worst place you wanted to go after beating United. You know, if they could have gone to another side, um, I know it sounds horrible to say around their level, but if they'd been playing Bournemouth or someone like that, they probably would have felt they could have got some momentum going. Um, we know now, not many sides will get something at Anfield this year. That again is going to be a tough place to go. I do tip them to be City's closest rivals, if I'm honest. You know, I think they've got City's number. um, And if they keep that front three going and Salah has another season like he did last year, um, Mane, you know, he's got his shooting boots on. I think the only question mark with Liverpool there could be Firmino. But what Brighton did, as you say, trying to play football around the edge of your box when you've got those three sniffing around your ankles is a dangerous game to play. Um, you know, it's one thing. you've. I've seen a few teams try and do it now there. And you just think, do not mess around. Because the minute they nick that ball, Liverpool, there's one team you don't want to lose where they can break on you at pace. Because that is probably the quickest team you'll see in, in the league. So, you know, don't mess about a bit around the edge of your box. Because as the goal showed, it'll cost you. Um, and then it would have been tough ask for them to try and get back in that game.
2: Yeah, you always got the feeling that if Liverpool scored first, it was going to be game over. You didn't really see the the goal threat from Brighton away from home, but as we saw last season with Brighton, their home form was the thing that was the difference between them staying up and going down. So they're going to have to hope for that again. Almost again like a free hit in sense, but you could have said it was a free hit against United. So it all depends on what you do. But you know, I think they'll just have to sort of dust themselves off and put that one to bed. In terms of momentum, um, there is another team that's um, three wins from three, a pretended to Man City's crown, you could say, and that is Watford. So Watford, they um, are off to a flying start under Javi Grazia, but it always seems to be the way with them, doesn't it, um, Anthony? That they start well, they drop off a cliff, change their manager. It's you know this sort of um, rotating door, as you were at Vicarage Road. Are they any closer to sort of finding an identity, as it were, or? Is this an identity that sort of weirdly works because it's never really? It's always about just transitional phases. Is this the man who can finally sort of make the job his own and sort of bed down for a couple of seasons, or is it just a case of if they get to 14th again, they'll just get someone else in?
1: Um, that's an interesting question. Um, I did see that last season um, the Watford owners said uh, something about they don't hire managers on long-term contracts. They don't see the point because. If the manager does well, say a Marco Silver. This was before what happened with Silver, but they said if a manager does well, he'll end up going to a bigger side. Um, you know they won't be able to keep hold of him, and if he doesn't do well, they'll sack him. So they've said there's no point holding on to a manager for long term in their view, um, which I thought was quite an interesting thing for them to come out and say. And I, I can sort of see that. I, I don't think there's a long term future plan for Watford, but. You know, in the here and now, they're doing all right. I mean, I mean, they they, they play good quality football to watch. I think, um, but yeah, it's three wins. You can't ask for more. But you, you have to consider that those three wins they came against Brighton and Palace, two home wins. It was a it was a tight game against Crystal Palace, particularly. And then the other game they beat Burnley, which was immediately after a Europa League. So yeah, the three good wins in you, you can say they've got a perfect record. But then you know when you actually look at the who the opponents were. It's a bit similar to Liverpool, actually. Um, it's it's a bit, um, I, I don't want to say a false position, but it's not like, you know, they've beaten a big side to get to where they are.
2: Oh yeah. Maybe I'm
1: a bit harsh on Watford.
2: No, no, I think you're right. I mean, I think it's also the hyperbole of, we're only three matches in, and I think people are getting excited that, oh, Watford are in the top four, but nothing can be sort of really does until 10 matches in. It's I think you are right. It's a false position, really, because it's, there's points on the ball, but there's so few games, it's such a small sample of you know points available that you can't really read too much or anything into it. But Carl, in terms of Watford, what is success for them? Is it literally just being 17th and above? Do they have any sort of ideas of where they want to go? Because without being too dismissive of the club, they're never really going to be a top four club, are they? You're sort of thinking a cup run, a cup win at best. So what is it just being part of the Premier League is good enough for them?
0: I, I think, as we've said there, Watford's trouble is, aren't they? They're one of them sides. If they get a gem of a player like Richarlison, they know they're going to lose him the following season because they, they kind of are the, a showcase club, aren't they? A player's going to go to Watford like Richarlison probably did. I'll go there, it gets me my foot in the Premier League and if I impress and I do really well, then I'm out of there the year after because one of the bigger boys will come in for me and it'll be Watford won't be able to refuse the money um, and, and I know I can go. As we said, the same with a manager. If they get a manager who suddenly was to get them seventh or something like that, then he's going to be eyed up by one of the bigger sides as well. So I think if you're Watford, you're probably hoping, the best I think a club like that can achieve is something like Burnley did, where they have a year where they can get, say, maybe 7th, 6th or 7th, be pushing for that place, hopefully try and get Europe, and then just use that to try and build build a club. But, yeah, they're never going to, they're never seriously going to push the top sides, are they? Unless they suddenly get taken over by some sort of Arab, you know, a country looking to spend all its money and, and be a Create this dynasty of a team, which you just can't see happening because then they're, they're never going to appeal to someone like that. So I think for them, Premiership survival—if they could have a year where they get seventh or something like that and get the Europa League—then they would probably think that's their, you know, that's their Champions League, isn't it? That that will be what their aspirations are. Um, but as you say, it doesn't look like there's a long-term plan going there. It's just well. We'll use this bloke. If he does well when he goes, we'll try and get someone else to come in and do exactly the same. And that's all you can see them really ever being, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, I think you're right to be honest. But I think, like many clubs in that sort of bracket, it is just a case of as long as we're collecting the Premier League riches, anywhere between, I don't know, between eighth and seventeenth, it almost sort of holds the same prize really, bar the prize money difference. At the end of the season, between those places, but really, because the
0: other thing, Dan sorry, that those sort of clubs as well, you kind of get a bit miffed because they'll be the sort of team that play a weakened side in the Carabao Cup, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, and you kind of think, well, hold on, you're never going to really challenge for Champions League or a title, so you'd think one of those cups would be something they'd go for, but they actually want to dismiss that because it is all just about staying in the Premier League, so. That's kind of sickening as a fan because you'd think, OK, we understand we're not going to go for a title or Champions League. We get it. We know, what we're, we know what we've got here. But at least give us the chance and try and win an FA Cup or a League Cup, you know. And if we could nick that every few years or get close to winning that every two to three years, then they'd be really happy. But that must be very frustrating when you see you play a weakened side and just want to go out of those competitions quickly.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, Tottenham fans will might moan that you know we don't win silverware, but you'd like to think we give it our best possible go, don't we? I mean, if we fall short, then as frustrating as it is, then so be it. But if you're a Watford fan, a Bournemouth fan, they're another example, that don't really have a crack at it at all because they're so concerned about just being in the Premier League and it's almost an unwelcome distraction, isn't it, being in the fourth NFA Cup. So, yeah, when you've got such few options to win silverware and you're not even really trying, it must be... Slightly frustrating, but I guess the ends justify the means if you stay up in the Premier League, don't you? But, you know, that's a topic that always rears its head around FA Cup time, so I'm, I'm sure we'll, we will discuss that one in a few months' time. But let's move on. We shouldn't forget Chelsea. They are also on maximum points, and they eventually came out on top against Newcastle. Now, Anthony, what's your take on Rafa's negative tactics? Should he be doing more in the situation that he's in, with the, especially a home game, or... Due to the personnel he's got and the opposition he faces, is he entitled to play the way that he did?
1: Um, he he said after the game he had five first team players out and he did a he he did have a weakened side for sure. Um, yeah, you could say look at um you could look at other examples of lesser teams like say Wolves who had a go at City or or you know Bournemouth who play good quality football or whoever you like. You could look at other teams um and point out they play good quality football against the big sides and, you know, you could name a specific result or whatever and that's fine. Um, The fact is that Rafael Benitez got very close to getting Newcastle, what would have been a very good point against Chelsea. Um, I I completely... I I like seeing the variance in styles. I I, I quite like to watch their defensive... uh, tactics to be to be completely honest i i thought it was um i i found it just as interesting to watch as had they tried to pass the ball as much as chelsea myself so yeah i think he's he's well within his rights and you know when you consider how much uh, how much money uh mike ashley's given him to spend over the years uh and and you look at the team on paper and it's 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 a championship team it's 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 a terrible side and he, he got them to within a couple of minutes of a point. Um, I think I think he deserves a bit more respect. And I think, yeah, I think he's being treated a bit harshly by the media and social media and all that.
2: I mean, I see where you're coming from, Anthony. I sort of agree that that game was getting absolute pillar wasn't it, by um, the sort of pundits because it was not entertaining football. But I think that it wasn't a nil-nil where both teams weren't having a go and it was really dour. I think that games like that, are actually, they've got their own levels of interest because you are sort of sort of seeing how can Chelsea be breaking Newcastle down. How can Newcastle have this result for 90 minutes? So, Carl, for you, I know it's not going to be one of the matches of the year, but did it still have a level of interest for you?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes people people actually forget how much work goes into putting in a defensive performance like that. You know, everyone praises the attacking football and everyone nowadays wants to see free-flowing attacking football. But you actually forget the time that Newcastle would have spent on their training pitch to to restrict Chelsea to what they did, you know. They would have had all week going on, you know, 4v5 attacking against defenders, you know, then introducing another man and, you know, overloading three defenders and making sure they get in positions and get right for that. So I think it's easy to forget the work that's actually gone in to allow that side to defend so well and restrict, you know, a great attacking side like Chelsea to the limited chances that they had, Um, you know, and that should be applauded sometimes, you know, it's just as good as attacking football, but obviously no one wants to see it. Um, I actually enjoyed the game because like, as you say, it was like, how are Chelsea going to break these down? Um, How is someone like Hazard, who I have to say, I think he's such a joy to watch, as much as I hate to say it being a Spurs fan, but I love watching Hazard play because he's so strong on the ball and he's so good with his runs Um, and trying to watch him try as hard as he could to try and do everything he can to break a stubborn defence down actually was an enjoyable game in a way. And obviously if Newcastle could have got that point, then that would have been amazing for him. But I'm, Fortunately, you know, luck wasn't on their side, and Chelsea managed to sneak that that lucky goal. And, and let's face it, in theory, Chelsea were lucky to get either goal, weren't they? Because it was if VAR's in, then that's never given as a penalty. Um, and obviously, yeah, without that own goal, they could have ended up coming away with a defeat there. Um, but I think it's harsh on Newcastle and Benitez because, you know, I'm not sure, you know, team, if people think Benitez is going to go gun ho he's never been that sort of manager and he's not going to change now.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I was going to ask actually whether you thought it was a penalty, so you've answered that one. But, I mean, it was good to see, well, it's never good to see, but when Giroud got elbowed and was complaining sort of after that, it was good to see that Newcastle got the goal, we sort of balanced it out. But you're sort of thinking, right, you're just back in the game... <laughs> just don't do anything silly and then minutes later Chelsea sort of edge the win but you know it's a sign of a, a sort of a top 14 that brings out of these wins.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, as you say, that that's the sort of thing, isn't it? When, when those sides go there and they get those points, you know, a lot of the time everyone thinks it's lucky, but then how often have Chelsea gone and got points like that? And as you say, how many times do top sides go and they just nick it? But it's because of the pressure they put on teams that they end up, you know, breaking them down. Um, and yeah, Chelsea look, you know, they look OK. Um, they've got Sterner tests to come. There's still the question mark about them defensively. Um you know, and that could be where they really fall down this year in their push for top four. you know if they can't sort themselves out defensively, then they'll get punished for that.
2: yeah, I think you're right actually well um we'll go back to the other Premier League matches in a bit, but I just want to sort of discuss not a hot topic, but a topic I'm sort of quite interested about, and it ties into what we spoke about last week, which was uh, the streaming of games in the championship. so eleven sports is now on the market. So it means that it's um, almost, I'd say, goodbye to Spanish and Italian football because it's a further sort of paywall. Now, Anthony, I don't know if you've taken it up. I asked the question on Twitter. and got a mixed reception on sort of whether people are prepared to sort of spend more money or, you know, they're just going to sort of park that. So for you, is it a cost too many? Is the football market getting even more fragmented? Is that a bad thing? What do you think?
1: Yeah, um, I'd not paid for it myself uh, to be honest I, I i don't watch enough european football to justify it i can imagine if you were you know a big la liga fan or whatever then or or a um, chinese league fan or whatever league you want to watch then yeah i can see the appeal um i think it's it's uh, it's a bit worrying to be honest because if if you want to watch all the football, you now have to have a Sky Sports subscription, a BT Sports subscription, a Sport 11 subscription, and you'll need an Amazon Prime. Um, so you can you can point to TV costs going down as they have with Sky Sports, um, all you like. But the fact that you need several different subscriptions is a bit disappointing for me. Um, yeah, I've not I've not picked it up to be honest. Um, if if they got football league rights or Premier League rights, I I would pick it up because that's primarily what I watch. But yeah, not for me. Um, the thing that I do wonder is if Leeds, because uh, it's uh, Salino who owns it, um, whether he would um, favour Leeds in picking TV games.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. There might be sort of a um, what's the conflict. word? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, conflict of interest. But um, yeah, I mean, for you, Cole, is it a case of that the, the product that's been lost to sort of Sky and BT subscribers that? Spanish League, La Liga, sorry, Serie A. Is it a case that, bar El Clasico, it's not really a strong enough hook to make you think, oh, do you know what, I'm going to spend six quid. It's something that you'd watch if it was in your bundle, but you're not necessarily then go out and spend more money to watch Lazio Sampdoria, are you?
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, i would be honest with you, I've got Sky Sports and I would never really add much interest in watching the Spanish games. Um, you know, as you say, apart from El Clasico, which you then kind of wanted to watch that because of the players on the show. One of the things that I always think let it down was if you had teams like, you know, Barcelona versus, you know, um, one of these smaller sides, Getafe or something like that, you'd flick on after like 10 minutes of the game and Barcelona were already free up. So you kind of thought, well, what's the point of watching this? Because this is now just, they're walking it around. The- it's just like a training game now for Barcelona. Um So you kind of had no interest in it, or I didn't. You know, for me, there was no real interest in it. There wasn't, as you say, there wasn't the teams and the competition to make you want to watch those games. You know, other than Atletico, Madrid, Real Madrid and Barcelona, if they were playing one another, you might have watched it. Other than that, not interested. And... With everyone paying the sort of money they are now for these kind of sky and you know virgin packages where you 're looking at a hundred pound a month for almost basic packages, I think people are starting to get fed up of having to pay for all these different sports subscriptions and I think now we see you 'll see a lot more people trying to turn to you know streaming and you know trying to find ways around not having to pay for those subscriptions because there are those ways around it if you know what you're looking for. Um, And yeah, I just don't think people are interested in in buying those sort of subscriptions to watch that football. The only thing the Italian game has got now is Ronaldo gone to Juventus. So that may have stirred a little bit more interest for some people that might want to watch Ronaldo and how he gets on. But I certainly wouldn't pay for that extra subscription um, and again like I was saying unless suddenly the Premier League go there then yeah then that might be a different matter but even then you get to a point where you have to start thinking how much am I actually going to pay for to watch this
1: oh. I found it a bit disappointing that the Europa League, the Burnley games are on that Sport Um But the one thing I would say is there was talk that the Champions League might get taken off BT Sport because the viewing figures they got in their first season were absolutely atrocious. Um, I wonder if there's something in that, whether whether they have to get some sort of figure or they, they lose the rights, because La Liga will want so many people to be watching it.
2: Yeah, it's a good point, actually. I mean, if you take the Champions League, for example, I don't know, like, say 20 years ago, when United were playing each, well, not each week, but on Wednesday nights, it was almost like event television, because there wasn't that much football on TV compared to what we have now, and you'd probably get something in the region like 10 million uh, viewers on ITV, and it was, like, really sort of a big occasion. Obviously, that sort of dwindles a bit because there is so much more football and people's lives get busy, I and mean, there's more things to do, but you now put Champions League behind a massive paywall, and there's no highlights anywhere by a YouTube clip, and I think Cole, a lot of people are sort of almost losing interest in the Champions League before the uh, the knockouts, aren't they? Sort of the group stages, it's almost like if you if you miss it, it's not really the end of the world because most of those games are sort of they come around quite often. You know, you sort of see the same kind of clashes three times in the last four years or something, haven't you?
0: Yeah, I, you, you are you've hit an hour on the head there, Dan, haven't you? In the fact that we're so saturated with football now. You kind of almost have nearly got to a point where you've got a game a night you could watch if you really wanted to. And it gets to a point where you just actually think, I don't want to watch another game of football right now. Whereas back in the days, you said when ITV had the Champions League, it was rare that you saw one of those games. So it was kind of a big deal. Um, and yeah, you're quite right. Some of the group stage games, they're so tame. Um, you know, once you've got a couple of teams that know they're through in the group, why do you want to watch the third and fourth team go go at it when they they both know they're out? So neither of them really try. And as you say, some of them games are real tedious to sit through, and you're tr- you're being asked to try and pay a big hefty fee to watch it. So it will be natural that more people go, nah, you're right, because until the knockout stages, it becomes a bit of a bore, really. You know, so we know who's going to go through when the groups are drawn. You pretty much can tell tell each other who's going to go through just a matter of who's top and who's second um so yeah i do think people lose interest you know maybe one day they'll kill the golden goose because they'll just put so many games on that people will just get a little bit bored of watching it to be honest
1: in bt defense i did find their youtuber because they, they upload the games the highlights on youtube every night after a match day and i used to watch them on the way to work the next morning And i did find their YouTube highlights were very good quality and good to watch. Um, but yeah, Champions League, group stages, unless it's United and it's a, a meaningful game, I, I don't watch them myself.
2: Yeah, I mean, to be fair, actually, you are right. The YouTube highlights are sort of pretty handy because if football has sort of hit a saturation point, just the three-minute burst is actually sort of quite good and it's more sort of convenient. But also, I guess with the Champions League, Cole, there's, um split kickoff times for the first time this season, emulating the Europa League. So, how is that going to sort of work with a, a six o'clock kick-off? I mean, for Spurs fans, for example, we might be going to Wembley trying to get a, to the game for six o'clock. It means bunking off work. It's not ideal, is it?
0: No, I mean, I mean that, that has got to be one of the worst things going, is not it? You know, as you said, if suddenly you're like, oh, yeah, six o'clock kick-off tonight, it's like, oh, great. I don't finish work till half five. So, how am I meant to get to that one? And as you say, without people then... Having to try and start working around plans of leaving work early. I mean, let's face it. Football now puts supporters through the ringer more than any any sport I know. You know, they have they put kickoff times where there won't be no trains for the supporters away. The supporters coming home, and it's kind of as I think we, I've said it loads of times. Supporters now are almost non-existent to these clubs. They don't care, and neither do the TV companies. Um, But they're so loyal, these supporters, they'll go, won't they? If we have a six o'clock kickoff at Wembley, it will be packed for a Champions League game because people will, you know, do what they need to to get there. But why do we need to do that? You know, why can't these authorities help the supporter out? You know, it's like, no, that isn't convenient for you. So we'll help you out. We'll put these games on at this time. Um Maybe we're our own worst enemy because in Germany, their fans really actually put up more of a fight to these sort of things. And, you know, they really will protest and that, you know, they, they make their point heard. Whereas, you know, especially English fans will put up with almost anything to go and watch our team. Um, and, yeah, that is a problem. I don't really see the need for those split kickoff times. It just seems and an, uh, you know, someone else is trying to meddle with something that didn't need meddling with, basically.
2: Yep, absolutely. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But unfortunately, I've tried to fix it. So we'll have to see how that pans out. Let's go back to the Premier League now, and we'll try and get through all the matches. We might not fit all of them in, but um, apologies if we don't. But let's go to the Emirates, where Anthony, Arsenal got the better of West Ham in the relegation six-pointer. And (laughs) the Gunners will be delighted that they got off the mark. But at the same time, do you not think if the Hammers bought their shooting boots, they should have at least got a draw out of that game?
1: Yeah, um, on another day, uh, West Ham could have got a draw out of it. They missed a few chances, and yeah. Um, however, I do think Arsenal were good value for the win. They deserved it, and they do uh, they deserve to be off the mark for the season. Uh, there's there's a bit of a question going on about uh, Mesut Ozil at the moment, though. I've seen uh, there might have been a, a row or injury with with Emery, which I think is quite an interesting uh, angle at the moment too. So. And Cole, I
2: mean Arsenal. They've sort of, they're off. They're off the mark, aren't they? But they're showing defensive deficiency still. Still a work in progress.
0: Oh, one hundred percent. I think Emray's is going to need a little bit of time there to kind of sort out the players he's got and the players he wants, um, and and try and get his philosophy across to that side. Um, yes, as we say on another day, if West Ham take their chances, then who? knows how that game ends up. Um, but then Arsenal were too strong just, you know, towards that second half. They just started getting on top a little bit more. But, you know, Mrays probably needs free transfer windows to kind of get players in and out who he wants. Um, at least it's good for Arsenal that you can already see he's calling players that owes you out. You know, not, they maybe won't get that kind of easy ride that they did under Wenger anymore. So, at least they can see we've now got this guy, he wants to put this philosophy in once he maybe gets the players that he wants to do that and ships out the players that he sees can't do it. Then they'll start working their way back towards that top four and pushing on from there. But, you know, they will need to sort themselves out defensively because again, that was a side where on another day, if they came up against a better side, they could have been out of sight before they even got into that game. And they can't, you know, they, they don't want to stumble too long because then, you know, doubt starts creeping in, doesn't it? And we know that those Arsenal boys are not too patient um, and we don't really want to see planes with banners already, do we? Um, not this not this early into the season. <laughs> let's, let's give it at least six games before that starts to happen.
2: Yeah, oh, yeah, we don't need that just yet. Let's uh, move on to the John Smith Stadium. I think it's called that. Huddersfield versus Cardiff. Again, it just sort of happened, so we're not really going to cover it. So apologies to Cardiff fans. That's twice now you've been blanked. The rule is simple, start scoring or at least conceding and I'll start talking about you because I'm not doing nil-nils, I don't have the time. So they may have been held to a draw but now it's time to talk about losers and this weekend's losers to be precise as we offer up our first loser pool picks of the season. So chaps, explain the rules off the show, I want your guaranteed banker losers for this week and why. So Anthony, I'll start with you first.
1: Uh, a guaranteed loser, I would say Newcastle. Uh, I, I don't see how they're going to get anything away at Manchester City. That's sort of the, the obvious answer, I suppose. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to try and predict a big side to lose this week because they're, they're not playing anyone difficult. The Burnley United game's an interesting one to try and try and predict, I suppose.
2: And, Carl, what's your banker-loser this week? Uh,
0: for me, then I'm going to go with Southampton away at Crystal Palace. Oh, oh an interesting um, choice. Uh, Hughes for me is a disaster of a manager um, And I can only see him taking Southampton one way this year uh, Well, it, it'll take him as far as maybe just after Christmas Before they think about maybe getting rid of him um, And from what I've seen of them this year uh, I don't rate their chances under Hughes, to be honest So for me, I think Palace at home will be too much for them um, So I'm going to go with them as my banker, my banker-loser
2: Southampton won in the week in the Carabao Cup but for you Carl do you see him as sort of relegation fodder I know they stayed up by the skin of their teeth last season if we sort of assume that Wolves and Fulham are going to stay up are they going to be one of the teams in serious trouble again
0: I think so I'd be very worried if I was a Southampton fan um, as I say I, I just don't think Hughes has got what it takes as a manager he's never done it anywhere he's been he you know he had a half decent spell at Blackburn and Wales for a little while um, but after that, he's, he's just been a car crash wherever he's been. And, yeah, I, I'd be very worried if I was a Southampton fan this year, especially after seeing what happened at Stoke under Hughes. Um, they haven't got, to me, they haven't got the squad that um, can get them any, you know, out of a relegation battle. So I'd be very worried then if I was a Southampton fan.
2: Well, there you go. So start news for Southampton fans. JS has been kind enough to uh, radio in from his uh, scouting trip for his loser banker this week. So what I'll do is I'll keep sort of running tally and we'll sort of work out who's the best tipster each week. So JS has gone for uh, Cardiff as his um, loser banker of the week, his loser pool pick. So you'll get a mention, Cardiff. Congratulations. I mean, if it's three nil-nils in a row, that means that JS would would lose. Actually, no, sorry. He wouldn't... Um, Go on because if a draw is the result, that's no good. You have to have a loser, so he's pinning his hopes on Cardiff. I'm gonna go a bit of a curveball. I'm gonna go with Wolves at West Ham because I think West Ham have finally got off the, the mark. I know it was the carabell Cup, and I know perhaps they had to work for that, but I think just getting that monkey off their back might just be the win that they need to then get them propelled in the Premier League because they're rock bottom at the moment, they can't get much worse. Um, I think home advantage, if the home fans actually stay in the ground for more than what, 75 minutes, they may have a chance. So we've gone with, Anthony's gone with Newcastle, Carl's gone with Southampton, I've gone with Wolves, and JS has gone with Cardiff. So they're the four loser pool picks for this week. I'll see next week who's right, and we'll discuss this time next week our picks for, actually, there's an international break, isn't there? So maybe in a two weeks' time we'll do our picks, but we'll uh, certainly be doing this across the course of the season. And it would be very interesting to see who's the, uh, the biggest loser, I guess. And one big loser at the weekend, a lovely segue back there, is Burnley. And we spoke about Burnley last week, Anthony. Do you get the yep. feeling that um, they almost would be better not beating Olympiakos or getting the better of Olympiakos on Thursday? They almost need to sort of put this European adventure to bed quickly, don't they?
1: Uh, I don't think so. I think they need to get into the Europa League group stages, and uh, that that's got to be their focus for this season, in my in my opinion. Uh, really? Sorry, completely going against what you've oh, said. Yeah, fine, I, no. I think um, I think Burnley have got to put all of their eggs in the Europa League and try and you know for their fans, They if if they can get to the Europa League group stage, um, I'm sure their fans would rather be in the Europa League group stage, whether they qualify or not, and finish 17th in the league rather than finishing say 10th and not uh, not. And getting knocked out to Olympiacos, I, I think they have to put all their eggs in the Europa League. That should be their their focus for the season because, from their fans' point of view, to be Burnley to be in Europe is ridiculous. And um, I, I'm really looking forward to the game on Thursday night. Um, Burnley are a, a local side to, to my work, and um, yeah, I, I really hope uh, I hope they can get the result. Um, their, their fans are, are great, and I, I think they're capable of beating anyone over at Turf Moor. But um, it's a huge game this weekend, Burnley v United. And I was thinking about both sides, actually, for my loser pool uh, prediction. Um, yeah, it, it's probably the well, it's the biggest game of the weekend, both sides needing a win.
2: But, Cole, is there the danger that if Burnley gets to the group stages, it's not getting to the group stages and finishing 17th, it's getting to the group stages being stretched so far because of a Fred Bear squad, they finish 19th. What do you think?
0: This is the hard one, Dan, isn't it, when we went back to Watford um, earlier in the show. You kind of feel like Burnley have got this golden opportunity that might be a once-in-a-lifetime for um, I say once-in-a-lifetime. Once, in, a lifetime. once in, in, you know, maybe 20-odd years that they get an opportunity to go into Europe and have some games. But it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Do you want to go and do well in Europe knowing that you probably haven't got the squad that can cope with that? And do you risk... You know, if you can't suddenly keep that squad as fresh as you need it, their eyes off the ball in the Premier League, maybe, and then suddenly you're sucked into a relegation battle. And lo and behold, you know, they, the last thing they would want is to go down if they trying to, you know, do well in Europe. So what What a crossroads to get to as a club. You know, they've just had their, one of their best seasons. And now they're looking, they're thinking, is this a curse? As it, will this actually be a curse for us? Because if we try to do something here in Europe, it could really hurt us in the Premier League. And as we know, all teams really, it's about survival in that Premier League and getting that money. Um, so I really don't know. If I was a Burnley fan, what would I want? You know, if someone said to you, "You go, you go out, you go to the group stage in Europe, and you have a little bit of an, a European adventure, and it's great." but actually you're fighting relegation by the end of the season or you go out early in this competition and then actually you're back at 10th or something like that, 9th, and you know, you're know you safe in the Premier League. I'm not sure what way I'd go there, to be honest. Uh, that's a real hard one for them as a club, isn't it?
2: Absolutely. It is stick or twist, really, isn't it? I mean, you can see the the potential riches of a European adventure. I mean, I know Ipswich... In 2001, finished was it fifth, and then got into the UEFA Cup, as it were, the next season. Had a uh, run in that, got relegated. So it has happened in the past. It could happen oh. for Burnley, couldn't it, Anthony? So can you sort of see our point of view? I know you don't agree, but can you sort of see where oh. we're coming from?
1: From a financial perspective, certainly. And yeah, I can understand what you're saying. I, I would say, what was the point in the Burnley fans going nuts when their side finished seventh last season if they're not going to take the Europa League seriously? This is their big chance. I know a guy who's gone to Turkey, who's gone to Greece because he doesn't think he'll ever see it again in his lifetime. Um, I, I, I even think that Burnley, if they, say, could have the chance of, say, reaching the semi-final of the Europa League and getting relegated, I think they'd take that. Um I, I I feel that strongly about it. I I I think I, I really do. I think it's it's such a huge chance. I, I get from the financial perspective mainly that, yeah. But even if they got relegated, I'd, I'd back Burnley to get straight back up. I think they'd show faith in Sean Dyche. I think Dyche would show faith in the side. And they'd get straight back up. I don't think it'd be the end of the world for them.
2: OK, well, we'll have to see how that one pans out. Um, Everton drew with Bournemouth. And Richardson got sent off for, I say, a headbutt. It looked very soft and... Fantasy Premier League managers across the country had a minute's silence because that was a a big loss for him. Um, I think that's all the game's covered. Fulham at good win against Burnley. That'll probably do because we now have the hit segment, Footballers Names. So, chaps, I hope you've been doing your uh, homework for Footballers Names. I've got a few good ones. Uh, Carl, I'll start with you because you didn't have an entry last week. So, what's a good Footballers Name?
0: Um, Well, I've you Know the couple I've fought probably tell you a little bit about my mind, if anything, Dan, and where it wanders to on this because obviously, you know, we've got the famous David Goodwillie, yes, um, very good one. Then we've got Michael Gash, oh, yes, oh, yeah, um, a good one. <laughs> then Andre Muff, yeah, yes, a great uh, shout, you know, David Seaman, obviously, D. Seaman. Um, then we've got Rod Fanny, oh, Stefan Kuntz. Oh, so that probably tells you a little bit about where my mind. Was that when I think of this sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I, I, there are some classic names there that you know. Just when you see, you just go, "Oh wow, that is amazing!" You know, surely that, surely the mum and dad must have gone. Oh, hold on a minute, this could be very bad news. But brilliant, I love it. Some of those names are just you know that they will live forever as legends.
2: Absolutely, they're not. I mean, sort of there's a disparity between a good footballer's name and the actual talent of the footballer. Do you not find?
0: Yeah, I mean, as you say, Michael Gash. I've never heard of him. <laughs> he, will, he, he will never be what's considered a football legend for his ability, Willie. But no. in years to come, people will say, do you remember that footballer called Michael Gash? And that's what he'll live for. And what a way to say you're, you've gone down in football history because of.
2: Absolutely. And uh, Anthony, have you got anything to add to footballers' names this week?
1: Um, I, I I was I had thought about it and I, I'd come up with Rod Fanny I, I actually recall him being a decent right back. Actually, um, I'd, I'd actually knew of him as a player. Um, but yeah, in terms of names, I think you've stolen mine. Um, wasn't there a Mitchell Dix who played? for I um, might <laughs>
2: um, have to look that one up, but um, it sounds familiar. But I'll have to get some confirmation on that one. Um, to be honest, I think you stole my thunder on some of those ones because I was going to say David Goodwillie. That's an excellent name. I actually also like um, it's spelled Danny Invincible, but Danny Invincible. I think that's a good one as well. But that's he, the one, yeah. He that's should really one. never get injured because he should be invincible, shouldn't he? But that's just unfortunately not the case. Um, so I think that will conclude footballers' names for this I, week. I
0: just have to say there, Dan, I work with a guy whose name is Eggy Cock. <laughs> and and now how about that? And That's he's a not one. a footballer, but in our office he's a legend, and no one's hardly met the bloke.
2: Well, last week we <laughs> opened it up. I asked JS if you got any more, and he said there's a famous composer who was once called Thomas Wanker. So you know, I think where where do you go from there in any sort of naming um, segment? Really, I think that sort of stole everyone's thunder. Um, we got time to discuss very very quickly. One word answer. Is Jamie Vardy and Gary Cahill... Kay- Actually, there's two questions, so I'll ask one to Anthony. Uh, Jamie Vardy and Gary Cahill sort of softly retiring from England. Is that a good thing or a bad thing?
1: Uh, good thing.
2: Good thing. OK, and for you, Cole, Declan Rice, Irish or English? Oh, definitely Irish, have him. Yeah, to- <laughs> I think, to be honest, they've had enough of our players over the years. That they obviously don't like the fact that we're sort of Doing it the other way, but you know that's a, a completely different minefield for another evening. I think that's where we are end the show as well. I'm not going to get all football political. We've we've ruined it already with footballers' names, so let's not um, do another backward step. So ultimately, yeah. and I, as always, I need to thank my guests, Anthony. A second solid appearance in a row. You'll be knocking on the door for first team football soon, won't you? Uh If if United keep losing, and you want to hear more rants about Mourinho and how I want Van Gaal back, then yeah, sure, I'll be back. You could be a very regular fixture at this rate, then, couldn't you? <laughs> yeah, definitely And uh, Carl, as always, absolute pleasure I hope we'll do it again soon
0: Cheers Dan, been a pleasure mate, really enjoyed it
2: Thank you mate As always, the Tottenham chat As um sort of mentioned, not really that much on this show Because it's on the eSpurs podcast Which you can find on Twitter At e underscore Spurs And it just leads me to say My name's Dan Tracy This is The Real Football Cast In association with Loser Paul And until next time Goodbye Podcast Network.